reading today is taken from Psalm 150, and that is on page 634 of the Pew Bible. Psalm 150, on page 634. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good evening, everyone. It's great to be here to worship with you, to dig into this passage. And uh, excitingly, um, one of the things that I love to do is to get underneath the skin a bit of what we were just doing, uh, singing praise to God together. And how, how often is it that we actually stop and think, what is this that we're doing together? Why do we do it? How do we do it? How can we do it more effectively, more in the way that, that God's intended, more satisfyingly? Uh, to quench the thirst of, of our souls. Um, and I would be, I'd be really happy if we could do a little bit of that uh, tonight. Why don't I pray for us as we get into this passage. Lord, you are indeed great and greatly to be praised. You are great and greatly to be praised. God, we, we come here tonight with all kinds of feelings, and stories, and stuff, and um, Lord, we, we don't lay that at the door and leave it behind, we bring it to you, and we're going to worship through it today. Lord, we thank you that you want to hear what is on our hearts, that sometimes that is the beginning of an encounter of worship with you. And so we pray, Lord God, that as you are great, you would be praised by us, wherever we're at, tonight. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I've been working here. My name is Ed. I've been working here at HT for eight years, um, doing what you just saw this wonderful band doing here, leading the song worship of this church. Um, and I've been doing that, playing instruments, leading worship for about 13 years now. Uh, basically, as soon as I became a Christian, got to know Jesus, I picked up a guitar um, and before that, I had no idea what people were doing when they did that. And at times when I was dragged into church, I would listen to these bizarre, boring four-chord songs, look down on them because music was my life, look around at the people who seemed to be having a great time and think, what have, what have they got that I haven't? What are they feeling that I'm not? And uh, God has a sense of humor that, that this is now uh, my work uh, one of the things that he's, he's calling me to. But I remember when I came to the Lord, something was unlocked in my heart almost straight away uh, about meeting with him in music. It was like he, he showed me like that, the purpose of music, why it's been made. And I can remember I went with my, my best mate and we'd just become Christians together. We went down to our local Christian bookstore and we purchased, uh, well, imagine, imagine our gratitude and, and happiness when we realized there was a CD called The 40 Best Worship Songs Ever. Because someone had asked the Lord and he had told them, these are my 40 favorites. 
And imagine our surprise when they all turned out to be soft rock numbers from the past 10 years. And I remember listening to this um, with my friend, and there were some incredible songs on there. Um, but I I've heard a lot of bad songs of worship in 13 years. And I remember one in particular that was on this CD. Um, we got there. Uh, oh, I really hope no one in here wrote this or knows the person who wrote this. <laughs> the opening line. This is to imagine this hitting the new Christian's ears. Lost in the shuffle, I was lost as a goose. <laughs> the devil had a rope round, and it looked just like a noose. And uh, I could see he'd, uh, he'd work backwards from the noose lyric to get to goose. <laughs> the chorus went, I'm dancing, apostrophe, with the father. Um, which, um, when there's an N apostrophe in a worship song, always, always a bad sign. Anyway. A lot of good worship songs, a lot of bad worship songs. Well, here we are in the Psalms, the Lord's book of worship songs. These are originally songs of worship that were written for God's people. People still sing them today. We still sing some of them, don't we? And um, maybe you could see these as, as God's 150 best worship songs ever. Some of the songs in this book um, are not just the best songs ever written, but the heights of, of the way language has ever been used. Psalm 23, Psalm 91, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I lift my eyes up to the hills. These, these, these mark the events of our lives, don't they? Well, that makes me feel kind of curious because I read this psalm, it doesn't fit into any of those categories. And I ask the Lord as I'm looking at it, Lord, why is this in your 150 best songs ever? Hear me out. Usually, uh, with a psalm that you read, like Psalm 23, it could be filled with some amazing subjective testimony about what God's done in someone's life, Right? Someone like David saying, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Nothing here. All we have is praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. He's not talking about anything specific that God's done for him. Sometimes we read Psalms and they're incredible in their objective description about who the Lord is. You know, he wraps himself with light as with a garment. Um, amazing, amazing words. His lightning lights up the world, the earth season trembles. But all we have here is surpassing greatness. What greatness? What acts of power? The psalmist doesn't give us specific reasons. All he says is, praise God, praise God, praise God. Do it, do it, do it. Do it everywhere. Do it loud. Do it with everything that you have. And it's kind of curious. Um, you know, what kind of worship song is this? It's not giving us the reasons to praise. It's just telling us to do it. It's all about the imperative. You know, if someone comes to me as a songwriter, I write some of the songs that we sing here, and gives me this song, I'd say, okay, there's some good stuff here, but maybe go away. Put some more interesting description in. Put some more beautiful language in it. Give me some reason. You know, how does it help when I'm cold for someone to say, be hot, be hot, be hot? Like, I need to know why. What is it about the Lord? So as I'm looking at this psalm, I'm thinking, how does it belong in this book. And here's another curious thing about it. Have you noticed how this song doesn't talk to God at all? This song is directed towards people. Notice these words, praise the Lord, the first, uh, the first line of the psalm, praise the Lord. It's repeated four times in this psalm. Well, that, that word, um, those words there, actually the, in the Hebrew, hallelujah. Hallelujah, we've all heard that word, haven't we? Christians all around the world use that word, and non-Christians too. But sometimes it loses its meaning, because we say hallelujah, we might be saying, that's a relief. Hallelujah, there's a parking space for me. Or if we're using it as Christians, hallelujah, as in God, you are good. But actually what it means is, 
Halele, which means boast in or worship. Yah, the Lord, the shortened, shortened version of the name of God in the book of Exodus. It's a command. All you people, praise the Lord. Worship God. And this kind of sounds like the whole psalm. It's not directed towards God, but towards people. You know, what's the point of a song like that? How does it help with one person telling me to worship and not giving me any reasons why? What are we going to take from this psalm? I think that is the point. One person encouraging and telling another or another group to worship, that that is important, that that is powerful, that that is deeply used to the Lord. The point is not this is a list of approved instruments to use in worship. We don't have any harps and lyres, although we do have some resounding cymbals, so resounding we have a plastic box around them, which I appreciate. The point is not a list of approved locations in which to praise. The point is the imperative. Use everything you have, this psalmist is saying to us. Use everything. You know, he, he doesn't even have the, the wherewithal to come up with poetic language. It's just the, the guttural imperative. Do it, do it, do it. Everything you have, everywhere, until your last breath. Um, what I'd love to look at from this psalm tonight is two things. One, the importance of us leading each other in worship. The importance of us leading each other in worship. Two, the importance of us leading ourselves in worship. And as I said, I'd be really happy if we get a little bit under the skin of what we're doing when we sing together, especially if that's a time that you find challenging in church. If that's not the time that, uh, that brings you through the door, this is what I'm looking for. Um, I'd, love, I'd love if we can get underneath the skin of that a bit. So one, the importance of leading each other in worship. Um, this kind of language that the psalmist uses here is not limited just to this psalm. It's all over the Bible. Um, the more I looked at this psalm, the more I realized there are quite a few songs around the Bible that aren't just directed to God. They're directed to us. A great example would be one that comes up throughout the scriptures. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. There we are again, one person saying, you people, give thanks to the Lord, his love and Jesus forever. Um, and that's because the Bible is full of worship leaders. A worship leader is not a guitar player or a musician or just the people who are at the, at the front of the stage here leading our song worship. Here's a definition of a, of a worship leader. Um, and I think it's something that all of us can be. A worship leader, like the heart of, of uh, this psalm, which is written by a worship leader. A worship leader is someone for whom God has done a work in their heart. So it's not enough anymore for them just to contend for their own worship. But now they have to contend for the worship of others. A worship leader is not someone at the front of the stage, the musical ones among us. It's someone where God has done such a work in their heart that it's not enough anymore just for them to focus on their own worship. Something's happened where now they're contending and fighting for the worship of others around them. Um, what happens to someone to make them into a worship leader like this person who, who wrote this psalm? Um, I hope that I know a little bit about this um, because I think it's happened to me. Um, when I first started here at HT, I loved my work um, and I love leading you in, in, in music like we did then in worship. Um, but after I'd been here for a little while, I began to think, what, what am I going to do with my life in the long term? Um, and I was asking all sorts of questions like, what are we doing? 
up here at the front when we do this singing in church. But at the same time, and the more important thing that was happening was God was really uh, breaking me down and rebuilding me from the ground up, showing me new things about him um, to the point where almost afterwards, I was like, was it even love that I had for the Lord before? Um, Such was his work in my life, showing me his glory. And um, something happened as that happened. The more and more I saw of the Lord, the more he healed my brokenness, the more I saw him meet um, my need for him, the more I looked out at the people that I knew and loved, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, and this urge grew and grew and grew in me that what the Lord was doing in me, he would, he would do in their lives. Um, I think like sometimes it takes a while for you when you're serving God uh, in whatever capacity to realize that your best efforts in your own strength can't do squat to affect somebody who's going through horrible stuff. You know, we've all got different mess in our lives of various sorts. Um, but as I felt the Lord meet me in the mess of mine, this urge in me grew. Like, God, is there anything that I can do? Anything. When I have people's attention partly for, for 20 minutes, 25 minutes on a Sunday, if I can do anything to affect people meeting with you, that they might come and get a taste of the glory that you've shown me. I want to do that, anything. And, and the way I, I led, um, chose my songs, sets, prayed, sought God, did my job, really changed. It really changed. Um, it became, I think, about true worship meeting because what I'd seen of the Lord, I was desperate to do anything I could to communicate to others with every song, with every gesture, with every word. And um, this is all over the scriptures, Psalm 34 David says this, I will extol the Lord at all times. I'm going to worship. His praise will always be on my lips. Let the afflicted hear, hear my worship and rejoice. I will extol the Lord at all times. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Come glorify the Lord with me. Still talking to the afflicted. He's seeing around them. David's like, I've been afflicted with all kinds of stuff. And God, you've healed my brokenness. And now I look around at my friends and I see that they're broken too. But could it be that as I worship, as I rejoice in God, something happens where they rejoice because they hear my rejoicing? Could it be that my worship can do that for somebody else? That's worship leading. It's this thing that happens in your heart where you realize God deserves more than just your worship and that people around you need the God that you are encountering. And that's what happens in the heart of a worship leader. That's what I believe happened to this Psalm 150 writer. So it's a noble thing, but is it in vain? No, it's not in vain. It's powerful when that happens to somebody because, and I'd love you to take this as, as one of the main things from tonight. You, your worship and my worship, it's not just to do with you and the Lord. Of course it is primarily and mainly, but it's not just to do with that. Your and my worship affects the worship of the others around us. Your and my worship affects the worship of the others around us. And that's the backbone to worship leading. That we believe if you want, worship moves in three directions. We all know about the first. We're giving glory to God. We're talking to him and, and saying to him what we love about him, that he's great in power and glory, and all of those things. Um, speaking to him, singing to him. Then there's another direction. You could say the first one's upwards, maybe this one's downwards. There are times in worship where we're singing and he so meets with us that he changes us, right, as we sing. Maybe you've experienced this. It's a key aspect to when we meet together and, and sing praise to him. We're not just singing words at him, 
kind of sending a letter of worship off, I were expecting him to speak to us, to encounter us, to change us, to bring perspective, to bring life upwards and downwards. But there's, there's a third dimension as well, and that's sideways. That's the worship leading dimension. The idea that our worship, as we worship, as we sing to God, as we meet with him and encounter him, that spills out and affects the people around us. This is all over the scriptures. Let me give you a, a few examples of how this works. Maybe you can see this as your three-way guide to being a worship leader. You can take my job at the end of it. Number one, it works visually. You affect the worship of the people around you visually. We all know this, right? You've all experienced coming into a place, and there's someone near you you can see or you know who's just pouring their praise out to the Lord. It's not because they're putting on a show. It's because they love him. It's an authentic show of how they feel about him. And that affects you, doesn't it? When you see that, like I have this every week. Sometimes I come in here and don't tell Rupert, but sometimes I don't feel like leading worship. But then I come in and I see someone adoring the Lord and it raises my eyes to see him. It reminds me why he's great. Their worship affects my worship. It happens visually. Simon Ponsonby says, everyone is expressing something about God when they worship. The question is, what are you expressing? I remember when that hit me when we were doing our guest services here, and I thought, what if someone who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't come to church, comes in, and one of the key ways they take their idea of the value of God is from what I look like on stage as I worship. That's the negative side, but the positive side, like when we see people pouring their praise on God in a way that is personal, not putting on a show, it leads us to worship, doesn't it? Visually, verbally is the second one. Verbally, of course, one of the ways we lead worship other people in the way this Psalm 150 writer is doing for us here is we tell them what God's doing in our lives and they get to piggyback on how he's speaking to us, blessing us and vice versa. Psalm 34, I've already quoted as a great example of this, has that famous verse, David says to us, still talking to the afflicted as he worships, taste and see that the Lord is good. In the few verses before that, what he's doing is just listing stuff that God's done in his life. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to, the, to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. You know, he's just talking about what God's done in his life. And that raises up the eyes of people who are afflicted. You know, we're all there sometimes, aren't we? Afflicted by whatever it is, um, sickness or apathy or whatever it is. You know, things come against us. And in that psalm, what David's doing is telling us what God's doing in his life, and we piggyback on it. Um, and I love doing that. You know, sometimes when someone tells you what the Lord's doing, it gives you a lift so you can worship, and vice versa. That's worship leading. Not a lot of that in this particular psalm, but it's important. Here's the third dimension, um, how we can be worship leaders for each other. It works not just visually and verbally. It works supernaturally. Worship leading works supernaturally. I want to spend a bit more time on this one. I know it's all supernatural because it's all by the Holy Spirit. Um, but this one, we can't explain how the worship of one person affects the worship of those around them. We can't always explain and join the dots how it works. There's a mystery to it. Let me, let me talk a bit more. You know when uh, the woman comes before Jesus and pours her, her perfume before him, breaks a jar of precious precious perfume worth a year's wages. It said the fragrance of the perfume filled the room. I think that's an amazing picture of how a worshiper, a passionate worshiper of Jesus changes the atmosphere of a place. 
they're not just impacting God's heart, they're impacting the whole part of the room. Is this kind of weird? Is it any weirder than prayer or intercession? The idea that as one person interacts with God and moves his heart, God moves the hearts of somebody else in a different situation. Um, Some examples. In Acts 16, we read about Paul and Silas in the jail, and as they're singing psalms and hymns to God, it says, that is the moment at which the jail doors spring open, and the Lord blesses not just them as they sing praise to him, but everyone around as they see the greatness and glory of God. Another example, Exodus chapter 33, Moses is there leading the Israelites as they just made a golden calf, turned their back on God, and Moses gets into the middle of this encounter with God. And rather than praying about the crisis, Lord, what am I going to do with this bunch of idol worshippers who have no idea who you are? He worships. Lord, teach me your ways that I may know you. Show me your glory. You think, Moses, what are you doing? There's a huge crisis erupting around you. But Moses realized something. When someone comes and worships, it magnifies the presence of God and the power of God. And that affects not just them that worships, but all the people around them. It goes off like a bomb and everyone gets blessed. And so the Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked. You, Moses, my presence will go with you, the whole nation, and I will give you rest. Because of one man's worship, the whole nation gets blessed. We have no idea of the power when we come before the Lord and worship in this place. It's not just about me and the Lord. It's about us. We're joined together. I love to hear stories of, um, of what God's been doing in those kind of ways in sung worship here. You know, I, I think of one just recently, um, or a couple of years ago, but I heard about it again the other day. Um, someone who serves on my team, a lady who's serving on tonight actually, um, came to church with her mother who was going through a really difficult spot a few years ago, um, finding church difficult. But one thing that kept them going was this line from the hymn, Great is, your, Great is Thy Faithfulness, a line from the verse which said, Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And they would use this as a kind of motto every day. We've got to keep going. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. She convinced her mum to come to HT. Um, and there I was, leading at the front. No idea that this was going on. Singing a completely different song. And in between two verses... Um, I'm not sure if I even knew at this point, because I didn't lead the song, that those lines were from the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But in a completely different song, uh, I said in between the verses, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And it was like for them, like the Lord knows. In that specific moment, I'd never said those words in worship before. The first time that she managed to convince her mum to come, out comes this motto of keeping going. And you know, it's bizarre, like um, Laura, that lady, came back to church last year to one of our great St. Mary's celebrations, and I sung that hymn for the first time in ages. And then the other day, she came back again, finding things really difficult, lots of stuff going on, and we sung it again, and I hadn't even planned to sing it. It's like the Lord is doing so much more than meets the eye when we worship together. Because when we worship, his presence is magnified. It doesn't get any bigger. We just get to see more of him, and the people around us get blessed too. And that's a good reason why when you hit a crisis in your life, you want to pray about it, but also you want to worship. Because the thing you need in that moment is the presence of power of God. Derek Prince says, if I have 10 minutes to pray about a crisis, I spend eight of them worshiping. Because sometimes in that moment, what I need is to know the presence and power of God. And worship invites that. Friends, this is church. We're not atomized individuals when we worship. We're joined by the Spirit 
and the blood of Christ. And like church gets a bad press sometimes, you know. People say, I love Jesus, but I hate church. I love church because I come into this place after bruising weeks and you lift me to worship. I see somebody else pouring praise on God and it makes me worship. I remember why I love him. I remember what he's done for me. One more testimony um, because I love sharing these kind of stories, which I think is a great example of this. Then I'll move on. Um, here's something that happened in our worship a couple of years ago. This person says, I've been really struggling with doubt in my faith, and I was unsure of what I really believed. I felt abandoned by God, as if I was unworthy of his love, and he'd finally given up on me. I went along to late night worship on the HT weekend away, and it took about one song before I began to feel God's presence for the first time in a while. It gave me the space I needed to feel every fear that I've been trying to repress and let God renew my faith. But towards the end of the evening, my friends came alongside me and read a passage from Exodus 17. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed in the battle. Whenever Moses lowered his hand, the enemy prevailed. So Moses' hands grew weary, and Aaron and Hur held up Moses' hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And during the last song of worship, they came alongside me like Aaron and Hur, and we held our arms up together, supporting each other. For the first time, I realized God had not abandoned me. He placed me in this HT family for a reason, and he put people alongside me to hold my arms up in worship when I was too tired to do it myself. Worship leaders. Worship leaders. People who say, I can't help you, but I can help lead you into an encounter with a God who can. And maybe this is the main thing for you to take from, from tonight. If you want to have an impact for God, you're going to use your gifts, your activity, your hard work. But maybe one thing that's going to help you to have an impact for God is just by learning to worship him. Because your worship affects people and it magnifies the Lord. Psalm 150 was written by a worship leader. And you can have that heart, guitar or not. Okay, leading others. Now we're going to talk a little about leading ourselves in worship. Leading ourselves in worship. What do I mean by that? Um, a few years ago, I was at a wedding with my wife, Emily. And um, I led worship at a lot of weddings um, and a lot of services. And I remember we got to a point, we looked through the service and came to the song, In Christ Alone, um, which might be the most common song that is ever sung at a worship, uh, a wedding service in, in this country. And I, I said something to Em, like, oh, well, here we go again, Christ Alone, it's predictable choice, something like this. And Em looked at me, I know it's terrible, isn't it? Em looked at me and said, make it mean something. Make it mean something. Leading ourselves in worship is about making it mean something when we don't feel like it. The chief danger I've come to believe in our worship is that we will believe that worship is a passive and mindless activity. I think there's a kind of twin-pronged attack making us feel that way. Um, one of the, the prongs uh, is that we make worship about styles and songs and genres of music so much that then when the song is not one we like, or the style is too loud, or with the wrong set of instruments, or whatever, we find it hard to worship. I remember reading a blog. Um, someone, a really good friend of mine, posted on their social media favorably, saying, why I didn't worship at your church. It broke my heart. Why I didn't worship at your church? And the answer was because this style was different to how I like. This song was not quite what I wanted. Passive, passive, passive. I'm not going to worship unless the style and the song is perfect. That's not how worship is meant to be. The second prong is 
Um, the understanding that we have of the Holy Spirit in worship, the charismatic renewal, if you will, um, if you've been around church for a while, has done some wonderful things for our culture of worship. But if we're not careful, we'll take the fact that we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit does things that are completely apart from our activity and our work and our effort, which is true. And we'll turn that into passive worship. I'm not going to worship unless the Holy Spirit makes me feel a certain way or says a certain thing or does a certain thing in me. Friends, that's, that's not how worship works. It's not a passive or mindless activity. Um, our feelings matter. God wants us to feel love for him, but they're not infallible, are they? And if we don't learn to worship when we don't feel like it, we're just going to be kind of paddling around in the shallows. And the truth is that the Holy Spirit partners with us as we deliberately turn the affections of our heart and the attention of our mind towards him. The Holy Spirit partners with us as we deliberately lead ourselves, turn the affections of our heart and the attention of our mind towards him. This is all over the Bible, isn't it? Bless the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praises holy name. The psalm is speaking to his own heart. It doesn't feel like it, but he wants to bless God. There are two tools I find in this passage that help us lead ourselves. And maybe if that's something you feel like, I don't know what's, I don't feel like doing this. Um, this isn't the style that I like. I don't always feel like worshiping. Maybe these are two things you can, you can use. One is music and one is movement. Music. Lots of music in this passage, huh? Praising with the sounding of the trumpet, the harp and lyre, the tambourine and dancing, the strings and flute. Why is this a song, not a poem? Well, probably because it would be quite a rubbish poem. <laughs> but there are other reasons too. Um, the reason is God loves music. God loves music. All through the Bible, he talks about music. He prioritizes music in worship. He sets aside 4,000 musicians in the building of the tabernacle. And you thought the transform budget was big. 4,000 musicians. Why? Because God's decreed that his presence be surrounded by music. He's chosen music as a key place where we will encounter him and be changed. So if you're not musical, that's okay. Because God is and he will meet you there. Music is a canvas upon which we can lead ourselves when we don't feel like worshipping. Let me explain. Mother's Day today. Um, and when we have these kind of occasions, we buy cards, right? And these cards often come with a pre-printed message inside. Like, have a wonderful day, mother. Or, you know, season's greetings, whatever the occasion is. If you've... Uh, sent a few too many cards, you might end up with, I still love you, mother. See last year's card for full details. Um, but when we get a card, we don't look for the pre-printed message, do we? Like the real money is what's written around the message. The message in the middle, that's cool. It helps me. But what's written around it, like why I mean something to that person, what I did for them that they're grateful for, that's what I care about. These songs that we use here, this music we use, they're like pre-printed messages. They're only useful if we actively write around them with our own message in worship. We fill in the blanks. That's what we do. And, and that's right here in the Psalm 150, isn't it? Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. You know, you can sing that, that the Psalm 150 writer has written. But really, what we're doing as we sing things like that, and all of our worship songs, we're filling it with the truth from our own hearts. Like, what are the acts of power that God's done in our lives? Why is he surpassingly great to us? We've got to make it personal. We've got to write our own message around it. 
You know, sometimes songs are full of content and description. Sometimes they're simple, they're repetitive, like Psalm 150, huh? It's a pretty repetitive song. Some people find repetition in, in worship really difficult. I think it's because they, find, they think it's mindless. But it's not meant to be mindless. We're meant to feel when we repeat something in this way. We fill it with our own content from our own mind. We're writing our own message in that time. You know, are the angels mindless when they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come? No. Every time they sing it, they're exploring and saying new reasons to worship and praise God. We're putting our own reasons to praise in. So we don't wait for a song to passively worship for us. We use it as a template. Maybe there are times of music, you know, Angus at the end left some space at the end of that worship where there were no words on a screen. What do we do during that time? Do we say, because there are no words, I can't worship? Or do we give God an offering from our hearts and write around the message? You know, sometimes I find it really helpful to do that, to speak things out in those times, just to speak out um, what is on my heart. And I love the fact that sometimes when God records people's songs, their own message, it's rubbish. Or it's even theologically dodgy because it's so real to them. Lord, I don't know where you are right now. Sometimes that's the song he wants to have from you rather than the words on a screen that somebody else has written. That's a precious offering for you. He'd rather hear a song that's real than a song on the screen I haven't engaged with. The second tool when I finish with this, movement. Movement. How come this passage touches on dancing? But we could look on all sorts of other passages in the scripture. It's hard to find an example of worship that honors the Lord that doesn't involve our body. Why is that? Why are there so many examples of it? Kneeling, clapping, shouting, raising hands, dancing. There are a few reasons. I'm going to major on one. Um, of course, a reason is that Psalm 150 is saying, use every tool at your disposal to bring glory to God. Lord, don't just have my voice, have my body as well. But here's, here's the number one um, reason for me. The body is the first tool I turn to when I don't feel like worshiping. The body is the first tool I turn to when I don't feel like worshiping. It helps me lead myself in worship. Let me explain. I used to watch people, like I said, um, and think they're feeling something that I'm not in worship. And that's why their body is doing that. That's why they're raising their hands or kneeling, closing their eyes. Because what your body does is a reflection of where your heart is, right? Someone's doing something in their body. It's because they're reflecting a wonderful ecstasy in their hearts. Reverence, joy. But I realize that's a wrong understanding of how our bodies and our hearts work. That's a passive understanding of worship. Because really our bodies affect as well as reflect our hearts. Our bodies affect as well as reflect our hearts. And that's why it's the main thing I turn to when I don't feel like worshiping. I remember when I was finding it hard to concentrate in prayer and someone said, why don't you try kneeling? Something happened where I realized it was easier for me to concentrate and turn the affection of my heart towards God when I knelt than when I was lying down in my bed and I was sleepy. Go figure. And that's because the body doesn't just reflect what's going on in your heart, it actively affects it. We have a power to focus the attention of our minds and hearts on the Lord. And then I had this crazy thought as I realized this. What if these people I see around me in worship who are going for it aren't feeling anything? What if they're just pressing into what they believe? God is here in this place, so I'm going to raise my hands and honor him if that's what it looks like for you. I'm going to close my eyes and focus myself upon him. I don't feel a thing, but I believe he's here. So I'm going to use my body to jumpstart my heart. What if some of the Psalms that I read, it sounds like they're having incredible experiences with God. What if they're not feeling a thing? 
they're just worshipping actively, leading themselves. Before you think this might be some sort of weird charismatic theology, C.S. Lewis, we're always on safe ground with him. This is what he says, screw tape letters. Here he is, um, h- here he's, he's, he's uh, voicing how uh, the devil would attack people trying to worship God. This is what he says, um, he would try and convince somebody to stop them from worshipping. Maybe, speaking as the devil, Maybe he'll be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, and unregularized. A vaguely devotional mood in which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part. At the very least, perhaps we can persuade them that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayer and devotion. For remember, they constantly forget what you must always remember. That they are animals, and whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds, but in reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Is your soul thirsty for the Lord today? Perhaps your body needs to jumpstart it to encounter with him. Because when you see someone praising the Lord, expressing that, you don't know how they feel. They might be fainting, they might be feasting, they might be thirsting, they might be bursting. We don't know how the writer of Psalm 150 felt when he wrote this. He might have been preaching to himself, leading himself. Now listen, this is going to look different for all of us. And I really want to acknowledge that. This is a personality thing. Um, For some people, that involves dancing and the tambourine, which brings back my trauma of growing up in church in the 90s. For others of us, it involves raising our hands. For some, it involves kneeling. For some, it involves sitting quietly and closing our eyes. But friends, expressing what we believe when we don't feel is not hypocrisy. It's love. It's leading ourselves. And I just wonder for a few of us, if um, your soul is thirsty today, maybe what's holding you back from expressing in your worship in a way, if the Lord is prompting you to do that, isn't personality but fear. And when we throw that off because we love the Lord, it's a powerful thing. I'm going to finish with this story again of someone in in, uh, HT who did this and, um, and discovered this about the body stirring the heart. In 2009, I had my heart broken for the upteenth time. I was a serial dater, one long-term relationship after another. But this time around, it was different. I knew, knew that I needed to just get back on track with God because my relationships tended to replace him. And eventually, I found myself here at HT. I looked around, and I wanted to be one of those people who worshipped with their hands because they looked like they really knew God, and I wanted some of that. But I never had the confidence to. I was embarrassed and felt unworthy. But in that moment, in one of my first services, I was like, right, God, this is me choosing you, choosing only you. And I remember slowly lifting my hands up, terrified, thinking everyone would notice me doing it, but obviously no one did. Probably someone with a tambourine dancing behind them, putting them off. As soon as my hands were up, I felt completely struck with a joy like no other, the body, the heart. And I praised God like I never had before. Isn't that amazing? The body stirs the heart. The body is not the most important part of our worship, but it's more important than we know. And I just want to acknowledge, friends, sometimes when I'm up at the front here, I come into the church in the place of, give me a coffee and tell me that God exists. And when I raise my hands here, it's not because I'm feeling something particular. It's because I'm acknowledging God's presence and I'm jumpstarting my heart. And maybe after a couple of songs of positioning myself that way, I begin to remember again his acts of power, his surpassing greatness. And then when I raise my hands or I kneel, it's because my body is reflecting my heart, not affecting it. So we want to give a bit of space. I'm going to invite the band up now to lead each other and to lead ourselves in worship.
Psalm 150 teaches us the power of leading each other. And it teaches us a couple of tools to lead ourselves in active worship. Why don't we, um, in fact, let's not stand. Just, just for a moment, close your eyes and uh, ask the Lord how he wants you to respond to what we've been looking at today. And it's always tempting when we do talks like this to think about performing. Let's not perform in this place. This is, this is about us worshipping the Lord, how he's calling us to do that. So let's just pause in a moment of silence. Lord, we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Body, soul, spirit, every instrument, every place, every tool, every breath that I have. Praise him. And Lord, show us what that looks like for us. Some of us, Lord, are feeling numb. We're not feeling anything. Some of us are feeling broken. Some of us are feeling overjoyed. All of us, Lord, we want to worship you. We want to praise the Lord.